A Hero's Journey is, by its nature, a podcast filled with spoilers. We recommend reading the book beforehand and then diving into the episode, but proceed at your own risk. Hi, and welcome to A Hero's Journey, a literary podcast. I'm your host and judge, Jack, and I'm here with my courteous Karen Hines. God, I'm not going to be able to say that Karen one. Correctly. No, we're never going to agree, but their names Our are. Opinions. This is Alex. And I'm Zach. And this week we're joined by our special guests from over at The Wheel Takes. Hi. I'm Hi, Gus. it's me. It's Allie. Hi. <laughs> and we're, we're, I've said it, Kerheen, for the first, I don't know how long that I read the book, Kerheen, and in, 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 so I'm in. Is that? It's Kyrianna. Oh. I refuse oh, to believe that. It can't possibly be spelt that way. Otherwise, I agree. I, <laughs> I, I, think it's, I think it's a lie that's uh, is being propagated, but mm-hmm. you know, there you go. Podcast is called Wheel Takes. Um, it's a, it's a first time reader podcast. There are a few of those, you know, you've heard of probably the wheel weaves. We're the blondest one. We're the blondest one. And Mm. uh, essentially the gist is I've read the whole thing. And I am on, I just finished book five. Yeah. And we do a couple chapters a week, uh, walking through, getting Allie's theories, getting Allie's thoughts. We have a whale of a time. Mm -hmm. And someday. Who killed Osmodian? I have my theories. I've got tinfoil cap on, ready to go. Whatever it is, I'm sure it's what needed to happen to get them all where they're going. <laughs> something, something, something pattern. There you go. The wheel wheels, wheels is the wheel, is the wheel wheels. wheels. And each week we look at a new book through Joseph Campbell's monomyth. So today, as you might have guessed, since Ali and Gus are on, we're going to be talking about the Wheel of Time, specifically the Fires of Heaven. Uh, this is going to be our second episode discussing characters other than Rand, as we discussed him in our previous episode with Alan um, from the Wheel Reads podcast. So go back and listen to that if you haven't. But today we're super happy to have Ali and Gus on. This is going to be the only time we'll have a chance to record with them on our show since they just finished Fires of Heaven. Just uh, Ali and Jack, since you are both at essentially the same point, be prepared to give one theory at the end that you haven't given before. I haven't given it before. If you can, if you have one. I want to talk about Nynaeve uh, since she is one of my favorite characters. And in this book, unfortunately, while she does have a lot of time, she spends a lot of time doing some silly things. So not a lot of character development here. But for her, I think one of the biggest things is her meeting with the higher power of Brigitte. Um, And this comes after Nynaeve is almost captured in uh, Teleron Riyadh by Mogedian. And Brigitte starts talking to her about how she's not a coward, how she is very brave, you know, for being able to go back um, and continue to explore Teleron Riyadh, even though she's terrified of Mogedian and what could potentially happen to her there. So I think Brigitte is a pretty great higher power. As long uh, as you ignore all the other parts of their relationship. <laughs> and as long as you still tell me it's not pronounced Bridget. Then it it is definitely Brigitte in my head, but we're not doing, this is not the time that we spend debating pronunciations for three hours. <laughs> oh, no. That, that'll be a different podcast at the end. 
So the next step that I had for Nynaeve, and feel free to argue with me about this one, is uh, a temptress to stay with Valonduka and the circus, uh, and really not to stay with them, although that's like kind of part of it, but to continue to help the people that she's been providing money to, including those in the circus uh, and those people they save uh, from the prophet and his terrible reign. Um, so just staying with them instead of continuing down her path to help Rand and the rest of the two rivers and continue to become an Aes Sedai. And then... And can you, uh, can yeah. you supply any evidence for that one? Any uh, particular actions or well she continuously gives money even though she berates elaine or <laughs> in her own head berates elaine for doing this um so yeah. that's nine my biggest point of evidence not putting her money to... where her mouth is Ninety. <laughs> what you never is do this that. supposed not to be doing as she says yeah right is this supposed to be for Nynaeve a book specific or book specific yeah okay because I was going to say, I, I don't think you can slot this into a... Okay. Uh, my, my, yeah. my, current, my current working overarching temptation for her is uh, twofold. One, it's very handsome and called Len. Mm. And mm. two, it uh, is handsome. her entire, you know, giving into the anger channeling thing. Mm. Well, that's just part of makes her who she is. So I can't get rid of that. Yeah. Well, she's working on getting rid of it at the end of the book. Yeah, she's with, got uh, that gal pal. That what's she's her name? With. Uh, I forgot the Aes Sedai. There's an Aes Sedai who they have specifically tasked. The Wilder. With. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The other, the other ex Wilder. Yeah. Oh, wait, that's such a stupid. Wilder. Like so muggle? many, so many people <laughs> learn how to channel outside the tower, and then come. Yeah, but they don't know that at this point. Oh yeah. Yeah. Plus, including the people who are dicks to the Wilders, like Phelan. She was. She's like. I learned to channel outside the tower, but I'm not a wilder though. And I'm like, you literally you are. are. By definition. <laughs> That's the definition of the. It's, Look, it's exactly just, it's just an easy way to know immediately which of the Aes Sedai are the biggest dicks. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I appreciate that you didn't say which of the Aes Sedai are dicks. They're all dicks. They're that's all the easy. Kind of dicks. Whoa, whoa, I, I, whoa. As the girls I mean, become so advanced in the Aes Sedai track, they do oh, become bigger and bigger dicks to their friends. Sure, but Varen Mathwin slander. She's done nothing <laughs> wrong. I like Varen. That's that's fair. Uh, so yeah. far. So far. So far. <gasps> what is she she, does, she didn't do anything bad. Oh, I'm reading <laughs> into it. <laughs> Don't that, lie that to people, Jack. Gonna say. Don't lie to people. If you stand outside a burning building and do nothing, you're not technically responsible now, are you? And okay. Did um... you watch the last episode of Seinfeld? <laughs> <laughs> the last point that I wanted to talk about with Nynaeve is her ultimate, which I think is capturing Mogedian. Oh, her whole struggle of this book has been to like overcome that fear and work in Teleronriad, and there's been this overlooming threat of Mogedian and Nynaeve is finally able to best her in Teleron Riyadh where Mogedian has the most power so I think it's a pretty good ultimate boon also some like a Tomo with the creator thrown in yeah if you wanted to get fancy with it I mean it also comes paired pretty well with a magical flight and a rescue from without 
Yeah. Yeah, it does. All those things. Like that 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 I think oddly very solid climax of yeah. Campbell's uh end parts. That sounds really sexual. Yeah. Right? <laughs> now saying those words in that order. <laughs> Thank you. I I heard it getting worse as I spoke. Yeah. So oddly for Nynaeve, even though she takes up about 30% of this book, I think like 95% of her character development comes in those last two or three chapters when she she's fighting Mokedian. Yeah, she does spend a good amount of time being pissy with her friends. Yeah. Can I can I chime in? Yes, yeah. please. I, I think uh, one of the most significant moments for Nynaeve so far uh, is actually when Brigitte, which is how I pronounce it, doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to fight anybody on any pronunciation because I couldn't care less. But uh, when, when Brigitte gets yanked out and all of a sudden she goes from being very much brash, confident, bullish to, oh my God, I'm a coward. And questioning everything about herself, questioning everything about her motives, questioning everything about what makes her who she is, um, which then comes full circle in those last chapters you're talking about at the end. But I, I just I think it's important to note that very sudden turn of hers uh, earlier. Which, which kind of bothered me, mostly because they do seem to try and wrap it up by the end of this book. It, it plays very well into some of the other bits that I want to talk about, but I felt like they mostly broke down Nynaeve to grow up other characters, which I... I get why Jordan did it, but I it felt a little untrue to her character, at sure. least in the short term to me. Yeah. I mean, I personally think that's why it's resolved so fast. You can't you can't really continue with this. I it's not part of her character. She is one of the bravest characters, even so far. I mean, even going back to Eye of the World, striking out on her own to go and bring back these kids from I Sedai that she knows took them. That's... Yes, she's willing to go charge after a boogeyman to save kids that are not her technical responsibility. Well, I think more so than the the cowardly aspect of it, it was I really I keyed more into the the guilt factor of it with um, with Bridget and less about. I mean, yes, the cowardly aspects were there. But I felt like the thing that that was just a side effect of the guilt she was experiencing, and that felt a lot more real to me. Though, I guess, interestingly, overall, uh, taking a straw pool here for me, Nynaeve's temptress is to continually give in to this new self image she's created, and I'm a little thrown by uh, by the proposition that she might have actually been tempted to stay with uh, smarmy French menagerie host <laughs> can i uh can i get a can i get a show of hands here in this audio only format for <laughs> where we rank on the opinions on alex's proposed temptress i i think uh i i well I, that, I'll, I'll wait i think that luca's a temptress in his own mind yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i think if you're saying that uh she was tempted to stay with the the refugees Sure, there's there's an element there of I can do a lot of good here, and someone should. Uh, I I would agree with that. I I don't think she had much of a chance of giving into it, but and I don't think the the menagerie or its uh, myriad of of characters had any real uh, hold over Nynaeve. I think it's it was used as a, a slight 
building block by the by the author and that there was no reality both in her own mind as far as responsibility and in the in the makeup of the story that she was going to spend any significant time there so so the menagerie isn't important even though he spent so much time there it's not important it's not important enough for her to want to stay beyond the time that she already does are are you saying robert jordan spent several chapters doing something that doesn't move the plot along was it a bottle episode what (laughs) it was a beach episode (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not the biggest fan of the menagerie, but there there were just, a lot of fan how, service dress descriptions. That is correct. How dare you? The menagerie plot is essential to the integrity of the entire thing. How else have we gone to think about Elaine's tight pants all the time? Absolutely. I certainly did. I'm sure those pants will prove to be a defining uh effect on Elaine in her uh, future. Those pants live in my head rent-free. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> so Allie, is there a point that I didn't talk about on Eve that you think is really important for her? Or just well, a favorite moment of from I guess, her? I guess my quick small thing about the temptation thing is, is the temptation still a temptation if the temptation isn't tempting? <laughs> Does that make any sense what I just said? Yeah. We've like, actually yeah. had that exact discussion before, so. Yeah. I mean, just if if it's if it's meant to set temptation, even though it do, she doesn't bite on it, it, yes, is still. it still it's still tempting potentially to someone else right couldn't it be i'd buy it i don't know that's <laughs> just my thought um I but it- i mean there was because there were some things about that space that she liked she admits regret about her low plunging neckline and her like the cute red dress yeah so i don't know i feel like the red dress was more of a temptation than luca though <laughs> no it's not stout uh, two rivers wool. So good no stout two, <laughs> two rivers wool. But remember, when when she gets back into good stout two rivers wool, the first thing she thinks is, "I feel really overdressed. This is kind of weird." Mm-hmm. I mean, tell t- the dream. Maybe I'll wear is, something else next time I see Lamb. Yeah. <laughs> Lamb likes blue. Do you guys know Lamb likes blue? I was currently unaware of it, but I'm glad you have told me. But that was my big add-on to Nynaeve's journey in the book. But I also think. That it wasn't so much that Nynaeve was actually being a coward, so much as like her perception of being a coward was off. Which is basically what Brigitte tells her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? It's, um, the cl- it's the classic uh, courage is being afraid and doing it anyway. Yeah. But I feel like Nynaeve wasn't interested in hearing that uh, perspective. She had to go through it herself and come to that realization herself. That just because her confidence is shaken doesn't mean she's a coward. What do we think about the knives? Oh. The knives being thrown at Nynaeve? Yeah, the knives and the arrows? Yeah. She got over it. She yeah, got exactly. over it. I mean, she does it. She uh, didn't want to do it. She really didn't want to do it, but she stands there. Exactly. So that, that adds to our whole overcoming of fears, both real and imagined. But... And sometimes a literal knife to the face. Hmm. Isn't it better than a medical metaphorical knife to the face? Is In it? Context, <laughs> I, don't, I, 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 I said that with the confidence of somebody who was going somewhere with that. And I'm going to be honest, folks. I got nothing. I, you know what? If you're going to say something, say it with confidence. Be bold. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's funny because my nickname for Nynaeve is always Knife. 
back from like book one. So when knives started getting thrown Why? in her face, I was like, ooh, to me, this feels very metaphorical oh, because, somehow. Because the, the shtick in the early days of our podcast is Allie won't get anybody's name right. In the early days, continuously. It's, it's, <laughs> a lot of it's still there. And knife stuck. Knife no stuck. No pun intended. It really okay. fits her personality. So, uh, you know. I think she's more like a club, but. We've got yeah. a friend that just calls her braid tugger. Braid tugger. That is her most identifiable personality trait, so. Yeah. I don't know if Zach or Jack have seen the uh, pictures of Nynaeve, but that braid is going to be tugged so hard. It, it looks great. great. Man. It does look great. Perfect. I have not seen it. I'm sure the braid will get a good tug. You'll have to God, look at it. Why does this entire episode sound so sexual, guys? <laughs> Wheel of time? It's because we're here. It's our Wheel fault. of time sexual? <laughs> we corrupt everything we touch. Look, it's an entire book about gender politics disguised as an epic fantasy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but I don't know why that would involve sex. That's just gender politics. Yeah, there's no cor correlation whatsoever. All right. Um, so I think we, we kind of like touched everything I wanted to on Nynaeve. Gus or Allie, did you want to go next with your character i can go i i, I was gonna talk about matt um Let's do it. i think you can look at matt in the perspective of arc wide hero's journey where he is aggress he's being dragged across a threshold for this entire book and refusing to cross it until he finally gets pulled all the way across at the end um but i i i think uh the the specific points for him uh that i really want to look at again they all kind of come mostly at the end I mean, because his plot line for the first, what, half of the book is just, I have a girlfriend, and she's neat. And that was very important for all of the Matt stands out there. Yeah. <laughs> and It was important for those of us who read this book and are thirsty yeah, all the time. And I, I, I love Melindra. I love the Melindra plot line. If we want to really? call her a, a new ally and enemy, I'm totally happy to call her a new ally and enemy. Um, I... I only saw her betrayal coming way later than I should have. I saw it coming the first time she said glory. And I was really proud of that. Cause I was like, I, you don't talk like that. Dark friend. And then Gus <laughs> was like, are you freaking kidding me? And I was like, dark friend. I think my, I think my exact words at the time were, Oh, you think, huh? Yeah. And then I had to go into another room and touch the wall. <laughs> yeah. I think it was, uh, I think it was the second time that, uh, is it Cadre Kidri mentions that uh, right? There's like the second rem reminder that there's a dark friend among the. Oh, Kadir. Like, oh, Kadir, yeah. thank yeah. you. I was like, oh, right. There's only one new IEO character. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. either her or it's uh, or it's we're or, it's one, of, or, it's or it's one of yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And and I don't know. She said glory one too many times, and I was like, mm, that feels sus. <laughs> and uh, you know, really, really. Not to get too too into Melinda, but I think Matt's entire plotline in this book um, could be described as a, as a, a multi-part temptation. Temptation to stick around with Melinda, whether he thinks he wants to or not. Temptation yep. to get the hell away from Rand. Attempt to yep. cross the threshold to get the hell away from Rand. Uh, and then being bodily pulled back across that threshold by what else but the wonderful world of Taviran time and time again yeah. well and the entire time melindra is kind of subtly trying to turn him against rand by like shit talking yeah. rand she's like oh you always going to be in his shadow yeah 
And I just assumed that's what a normal pushy wife character in the Wheel of Time would look like. And I was like, Sus. I mean, we do see we do see that from a, at a their direct comparison couple. Oh no, never mind. Why is she trying to get in the way of the bromance? That's What's true. her angle? Speaking Ma of okay, no one needs to get in the way of the bromance. Rand is convinced that he's poisoned, and Matt is actively trying to run get away, away from, from him. him at all I know. Time. Well, that's the interesting <laughs> thing is is. Uh, the 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 this book also simmers up to a battle with the brother i believe uh between matt and Rand, because one of the last things that happens or really from from i'd say the midpoint uh matt says i'm out of here and Rand says okay and then matt comes back and then he says i'm out of here and Rand says mm -hmm, okay and he comes back and then matt says yeah you know what i'm out of here and matt and Rand says shut up sit down you have an army now i need you you're staying sorry bye come back later I, but I will sorry, say, no, I, I believed Rand the first few times that he said he he just wanted Matt to be happy. Yeah. And even as his internal monologue goes, but in the end, you're going to come back He's here and back. I'm going to use the fuck out of you. So I agree. No, I, get, I, I get get some vacation time in. I think he's absolutely, uh, absolutely earnest that he wa he wants him to go and have the honeymoon that, that Perrin had for this entire book, you know. But uh, unfortunately, the pattern didn't didn't see it that way for, for our boy, Mr. Cawthon. Karen had a great vacation. How do you pronounce it? Cthulhu. Oh, cool. That is what? not how you you do not pronounce no. the Cthulhu in your head, Zach. Listen, I'll, I'll, okay. I'll buy it. You may. I, that is how I pronounce it in my head, Matt Calhoun. That's cool, and I am here for it. I'm gonna keep uh, saying Cawthon, though. <laughs> out of curiosity for you two, because we've debated it quite a lot. Do you view Matt's sort of overarching? Uh, as you, at what you called his temptation, as a temptation or as a refusal, because there's a, we we've come out on some different opinions on it before. I think thus far, Matt Matt lives in in a refusal, um, but the 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 ironic the thing about Matt, the the dichotomy of Matt, and the the contradiction that is Matt, is that he is refusing the thing that is pulling him forward and that is tempting him. Repeatedly, he's he's refusing to have any any modicum of power. He's refusing to he's refusing to lead. He's refusing to um, be who he is and embrace his destiny. And yet, regardless of what he really thinks he wants to do, he voluntarily puts himself in harm's way to help others. Repeatedly, mm -hmm. he embraces that destiny while saying, "Just this once, just this once, just this once, just this once." You know, I'm, I I really want to just get this one done. You know, I'm just going to I'm just going to save these guys in this battle. All right, I'm going to leave now. Oh, they're following me. Oh, there's some soldiers. OK, well, now my friends are in danger again. So we're just going to do one more quick battle because otherwise they'll get killed. And, you know, I don't want that to happen. But uh, the, re the reluctant hero. Yeah. By definition. Yeah. No bloody also hero. So the unreliable narrator. I think the thing that Robert Jordan does the best in these books is his ability to write perspective, especially unreliable narrators. I mean, we've got Nynaeve. We've got Matt. Um, cause Matt says he wants to do one thing and then inevitably always does the other thing. Yeah. I, I, so that's interesting. Uh, do you think that's an unreliable narrator in this world where everyone is bound to a literal pattern that keeps them on track? I, I think, I think it's a little bit of both, right? The pattern has clearly not let him do things, but I think Matt also lacks a certain level of self-awareness about his own goodness. Oh yeah. Well, he thinks he's fair. I think he goes beyond that for, for Matt and for all the characters. Like you said, um, I even messaged Alex kind of about this the other day. It's the self-awareness that comes inherent to people in general that, that Jordan's really touching into 
in that, like we talked about the the gender uh, politics of the whole thing. It's every time a character says something in any of these books, they'll say something. The, the women will say something like, uh, "Men are so hard headed, and you you you'll never get through to them while they themselves are being hard headed." Right? Mm-hmm. It's there's always it's always example of thing being said by person who is doing that thing. In fact, yeah. uh, it's my favorite bit. And it doesn't uh, eventually wear you down. It's been frustrating. It's, it's for worn like me down. It, it's worn me down, but I understand the charm to it. So I'm not like, oh, goodness. It's just now I look at it and I get only mildly frustrated that the characters can't see it in themselves. Yeah, it's Probably sometimes might. frustrating. I, I think it depends on the moment because I very much enjoy like I'm not shouting, naive shouted or something like that. Yeah. Those ones are pretty good. The, yeah. The, the one that I'm thinking in particular is uh, uh, men always, uh, this is, ni- again, Nynaeve has some of the best ones. Um, men always wanted to jump straight to violence as a solution. If she had a stout stick, she would beat them about the head and shoulders if they thought that way. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's a good one. I like I like all of the um, the three main uh, boys, when they always say the other characters that know are how women. to handle women. <laughs> have you noticed that that's fallen off now that they all have steady girlfriends? I mean, Matt just murdered his. That's so. true. Mm, <laughs> so he's like, I'm definitely the worst with women. Somehow wow, that's crud. true. <laughs> uh, I have a question uh, for you, Gus, about uh, if you were to try to encapsulate the struggles that uh, Matt is having in this book as a trial. You talked a lot about as a temptation. Um, is there something that Matt either learns about himself or uh, on a wider journey that we could slot into as a trial within this book specifically? Yeah, I think I think he is almost resigned by the end of this book. Um, I think I think the trial is this is his last. This book is. And appears to be, again, I'm not speaking from the perspective of all 14 plus, I'm speaking just within this. By the time we get to the end of this book, it seems as though his idea that I'm just going to spend my life going from in to in, gambling, drinking, you know, flirting with pretty girls, and I'm not going to have anything to do with the rest of this. It seems like he has given up on that by the end of this. He tries to run away three or four times, and lo and behold, it doesn't work. And at the end of it, Rand pulls him into the room for that meeting where they discuss a plan that I don't think is specifically um, described. And he comes out going, I'm not going to get out of this. So I, I think his trial is really, again, we're talking about refusal of call and, and crossing the threshold, looking at the hero's journey. <laughs> uh, even though he's already had his death and rebirth twice, um, he's still, his trial is being able to accept his call does that make sense does that work i mean i'm I'm trying to look at this both as a microcosm and a macrocosm hero's journey i was looking more in the 14 book arc um oh what's his overall trial but i think that the trial that he experiences in this book on a on an overall overarching arc is certainly um similar to what you said where he he has a certain amount of resignation to his fate as a, a, t- a tavern tavern is how I say it poorly. Uh, and, uh, and that, that 
proves beneficial to his character growth in the long run. But that yeah. is uh, taking the assumption that everyone's ultimate boon, assuming they're a good guy, is to survive Tarmageddon and win. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Well, Rand doesn't seem to want that very much. I mean, he wants, he the wants win to part, win. But, yeah, he's just assuming he's gonna. He die. wants to leave something behind. True. I think Matt'll be happy, provided he just never gets married by the end. Yeah. Well, we we know what the uh, what the we we know that we the, know that unfortunately, the yeah, the snakes uh, snakes have something. Yeah, to say about that. I think he's. I I have a theory as to who that's going to be. I I do like his little though checking before hooking up with anyone. Are you the, Are you the daughter? Does the does the daughter of Nine Moons mean anything to you? If so, I'm out. And I'm like, I think I know who that is. And oh. who do you think that who is? Who do you think that is? Go for it, because I'm pretty sure my, my best guess is that I haven't met her yet. Oh, my guess is that she's two on the um, gal, the Sean Chan gal who they mentioned in like one chapter, but I made a joke about her name. And then I remembered that she's like the princess or whatever. She's like the second daughter of the Empress. Yeah. Empress. And they call that the Court of the Nine Moons. So I think it's her. That's fair. I mean, I. That's why I assumed we hadn't met them yet because I just assumed it was gonna be one of the Sean Chan. I did not think that it would be a princess, but that that fits quite well. You're probably they're all silent, so I'm guessing you're. All... <laughs> <laughs> well, what 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 better? I can neither confirm no Lord nor deny the slanderous uh, assumptions. I, so. That's who I think it is. It's me. It makes sense. It fits. Yeah, that 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 you you've convinced me. That definitely. Is I, I, yeah, I was I was assuming it was gonna be one of the Sanchez, but I did not. I I had forgotten that we'd been given like information on there being two princesses. Yeah, there's the one that she doesn't like and the one she does like. Yeah, right? that'll, something that'll, like that. Yeah, the uh, black sheep of the family fits very well for right. Rand's brewing up for war against them. So that gives us that gives us somebody good for to take over after they win. Right. That's my theory. There, you get a theory. Yeah, that 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 fits pretty damn well. I don't think it's a fear theory. They're being all real quiet here. <laughs> oh, I I don't like to lead her. <laughs> all right, Jack. That takes us to your character this week. Uh at, real quick. Oh, really? Kills Kuladin. Do you think that that is part of his hero's journey at all because we it's so rushed over in the book but it it's I mean, definitely it's like not the even culmination really yes yeah, we're yeah, told after the fact it's off screen that... right yeah. well I, I think again if we're looking at his 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 uh his trial in this book as i'm no bloody hero and i am not a part of this when you kill the enemy general i'm sorry you're a hero and you're part of it uh it, it is I, I it's difficult for me to give it an exact um point i might call that his ordeal in this book honestly uh his his you know oh god you're working from a different set of campbell steps okay well hold on which one do you have what, what's the bottom uh, we, for you? we 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 the use uh, the no we use cl the classic 17 from the actual hero with a thousand faces yeah you type that was quick uh He's did, very did we do did we do cool it in dirty in this book by killing him off screen? No, so, I think that worked really... Oh, sorry. Oh, I don't have to talk. <laughs> Actually, I think you'll find you do. <laughs> that's why we're here. <laughs> that's fair, that's fair. Okay, so my 
my thought was I had initially thought that the battle with Kuladin and taking Kyrene was going to be the climax of the book. Mm -hmm. Like I thought that As was most be... reasonable people. Yes. Right. <laughs> so I was shocked when they were like, and there's Kuladin's head. I was like, excuse me. Where was my big climactic clash of, of Randy Kuladin? I thought that's what we, we were being set up for the clash of the car Carnes. But at the same time, Kuladin is such a nothing B character that I'm okay with the fact that we didn't like, honestly, it's such a sick burn to Kuladin who thinks he's the main character to have his death be off screen nothingness that I kind of loved it. Okay. First of all, dying, at Matt, dying at Matt's hands is not a B character ending. That still ranks you in the top tier. Well, we didn't, but we didn't see it. So to yeah. me, that implies that just, we, we, we get it in a flashback. No, no, we no. Get, no, we get the, the charge. We Matt, get the charge in the flashback. We, Matt, we, we, we get the we get the cliffs notes. Matt's yeah, Matt's trying to stay in the center. Cool it in charges through, thinks that Rand's gonna be there, and Matt beats him. And it's sure. and then later somebody cuts off his head. Sure. Because Matt, Matt's classy. I'm not calling Matt a classy. B character. Oh, yeah, I'm calling cool it in a B, B character. character. <laughs> I'm not I, even I sure if he's a B character. He's pretty low. The wise one who's pulling his strings that keeps doing the classic thing of after one dude dies, marrying the next guy in charge until she can eventually just be in charge by herself. Well, uh, do you think that will have any lasting impact on the story? Kooladin's death? No, not Kooladin's death. Jack's like other B character. Oh, so oh well, she's the actual... The, the shadow aren't going away, right? They're, they were still alive. The, the I'm just asking you about what you think is going to happen with this other oh, B character well, you brought up. She, she seems completely on board to eventually be one of one of the many characters that either intentionally or accidentally works as a dark friend. Yeah. I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think she is one yet because I don't think the Aiel had that many. But I'm guessing she's on her way to doing it intentionally, intentionally or otherwise. Tell everybody I'm on my way. Can uh, I jump back to answer ex what step I would call Matt's uh, killing yes, of yeah. yeah, I think I think for a structure, the structure of the story, it would be an ultimate boon. But Matt doesn't want anything to do with the story he's in. <laughs> does that does that work? Yeah. yeah. Uh, because it, it it's a great victory. It's a huge accomplishment for anybody else. It would be great. Matt doesn't want to be in this story. I mean, he he doesn't want to be a part of the hero's journey, period, because he's no bloody hero at all. So the farther he goes down the hero's journey path, especially when he starts achieving the good parts of it, woe unto him. I think yeah. the death of um, Kaladin... Different Kaladin. book, and he's yep. still alive. And he's still alive. Uh, what's this guy's name? Kooladin. Kooladin, all right. He's the better Kaladin. No, don't you say that. <laughs> You take that back. <laughs> I fight with spears. No. Um, I think that the death of Kooladin here is a byproduct of the ultimate boon sure. for Matt in this book. And I think the ultimate boon for Matt in the book is the uh, the army that he, he builds up around himself. Mm. Yeah, the red hands or whatever they yeah. are. It turns out by just keep, but if you keep winning, more dudes keep following you. Yup. Yeah, I think that is like and what you have he people to drink with. Because his whole. Like memory self, right, is required people to follow him in order to be useful, right? And well, he could have just shadowed behind Rand and just told him what to do. I mean, yeah, but he's 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 most useful when he's got people that he can direct. And whether they're his people or Rand's people, that doesn't really matter. But 
yes, he's the good one-on-one fighter when he needs to with his staff, right? And we, he's shown that time and time again. But the that's not necessarily going to be as useful to the wheel and as useful to Rand as his memories as a general. Fair. I think for me on the overall scale, we'd all previously, or at least they'd, uh, they hadn't shot me down when I'd argued that being hung in Rudin uh, was his yeah, belly of the whale. I buy that. Uh, if that, and if that's his belly of the whale, I think as big a step as finally coming into a command of his own is, I'm guessing this is just going to get logged as one of many of his road of trials. I'd buy that too. So, Jack, do you want to go on and talk about uh, Elaine? Yeah, I was looking through Egwene's stuff and could not find anything to talk about with her. But Elaine also doesn't have enough, so I guess... Hey, she wears pants. She wears... (laughs) pants but i feel Where's like the pants to... in this female I, feel, trio? I feel like even with editing we're probably gonna have already talked about the pants by this yeah. point so i get i think i'm gonna talk about Egwene because she comes into her own a little bit in this book i'm gonna talk about uh, Egwene today she doesn't do as much in this book as she does in some of the other ones which will be very disappointing for her fans but she does have a few big character moments The first one that springs to mind is not actually from her perspective, but when she sort of takes control of her situation with Nynaeve, I think it kind of represents both coming into her own as a woman, right? This was a person that used to be her mentor, who she's now stepping around. And uh, also it represents sort of her coming fully into her powers as a dreamwalker because she demonstrates expert control to the degree where I genuinely thought that the big reveal at the end of that chapter might be that she was somebody in disguise like Mogadine. Ooh. I was you very thought egg, You thought the eggwing was? I, just because she was taking control she was taking control and displayed more proficiency than she had previously and so I'm glad that it was her and that's very clearly a big character moment a representative of overcoming your mentor. I don't know where that slots in, in our traditional hero's journey. So I'll take, uh, I'll take suggestions, but yeah, she was, she was so much more authoritative that I genuinely thought she might be a trap for Mogadin, who I know it's Mogadian as you guys keep saying, but I'm not. Uh, you say uh, whatever you want to. So that's my crackpot uh, idea that flowed through my head during that chapter. Where do you guys think that sits in the journey? I think it's probably uh, like a capstone to a trial. A green struggle for a couple books has been to like step onto her own away from the wise ones, away from Moraine uh, and Aes Sedai, away from Nynaeve. So this could be seen as a capstone to at least two of those, stepping out from under Nynaeve's shadow and out from under the wise one shadow. Because like you said, she's demonstrating a lot of control over Teleronrion that she hasn't been able to do before. I think that I think that fits better than any other step I might have tried to assign it. Yeah. It, you could also like kind of try and make an argument for a creator, but I don't think at this point Nynaeve has enough of that creator relationship to really um, and I, include. I think Nynaeve is a former mentor from a time before the books began. I don't, I don't think she's, if, if anyone in the books so far fits the creator role for Egwene, it's definitely Moraine. I can't believe yeah. I forgot her name for one second. <laughs> uh, Moraine there does that for many characters of different instances. So. Yeah. And which it doesn't get to happen, 
but I, I got to assume that at least within the sphere of this book and a few arcs, we do have, there must have been some moment of atonement. We spend a lot of time in Rand's perspective from Moraine's death, but that has got away on Egwene a lot. So I, I wish we could have seen her have a letter from Moraine, because I feel like their relationship got pushed aside a little bit here as she spends all of her time with the Dreamwalkers. We only get one, one scene with them together in the sweat tent. Jack, why don't you share with our guests your, your Moraine theories? Oh, what? That she's definitely alive? Oh my god, thank you. Oh, yeah, no, she's... They, 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 they both fell through a door that goes to another world. I don't care what Lance yeah, said. Yeah, the connection the been, got severed. Oh, no. Like, the only thing she's in another dimension. Well, the only thing that does confuse me about that is it didn't get severed the last time okay. she went through the door to the other world. But I, I have a theory. She, I mean, she thought she was dying. Maybe she, like, preset it to change. Okay, but I have a theory about that, too. Um, because I'm like, okay, Ooh, if you think if she about... she got severed. Because she talked Sorry. about how... Um, when she and Rand and Matt were all in there together, they were all like, oh, the strain, it's too much, you know? And she comes back through and she specifically uses the phrase, you could have severed the connection. Yeah, so when the portal collapsed, they cut off that route. That That's my theory, is that she and Lan- Currently she locked and, out. Yes, and that she and Lanfear went in, like, both of them with fire, guns blazing, the power of both of those women with the Saw Angriel, right? Saw Angriel? Regular Angriel. Whatever. The, what, I get them all mixed up. But <laughs> the Angriel... Like the co- combination of all of that power at once, I think overloaded the system. The thing explodes. They sever the connect, like all connection from this world to the other world, including the warder Isidai bond. Does that? Yeah, but she's she's definitely alive. If, uh, if, that's, if that's if, the if, only door, then what's the problem? Well, no, there's another door. Um, we've seen the other door. No, the other door goes to the other world with the other animals. Well, oh yeah, those, those two people. Those. Those two doors populated by people that both interacted with Matt through the red stone doors. I'm sure that there's no in, no importance to the other one still being around. Yeah, I'm with you. Moraine is dead when you show me a body. Exactly. <laughs> well, well, hold on. If if you're saying though that uh, the doorway collapsing means that you know it's it's cut off, why why couldn't the thing have gone through the other door? If you're saying it's the same world. Why can that connection I'm, I'm, of persistence? I'm not arguing that it might maybe it's a different world, but you've got an interdimensional portal. And sure. Yeah, maybe, got, maybe you, you can change the channel. Is what oh, I hear you. Okay, okay, great. I just oh. wanted to. I just wanted to also, press. Rand is strong enough that I'm sure, given enough time, he can just cleave through. Also, Teleronriad is like the space between multiple worlds, so there. I don't know. So, so we're looking at like the. Uh... There's like three different things that they've talked about in terms of other worlds with power levels that make me think there's there's an easy way to bring Moraine back two to three books from now. Give the characters time to stand on their own. You know, it's funny. I think Tom might have something to do with how she gets back based on that, um, like a dream that somebody has of him taking Moraine's blue stone out of uh, like ashes or fire or something like that. There's just something about that symbol to me that's like maybe he's involved somehow in bringing her back. I just assumed they were going to end up together. I also think they end up together. I never heard that. They leave two she leaves two letters one is to rand no, and the other one is to tom i've said a it person that I, I i i assume it's meant to be the information uh, that she promised him but of all of the right like that's gotta mean something uh-huh. if she's if, if she's not dead 
and everyone in this book. You don't I, think she loves land? No, what? not no. like that. Gross. Ew. Ew. Like they're that's. Like, I mean, I friends. always thought there was something there when I read the book for the first time. If that was the case, then land would be with her. Yeah, exactly. I'm also, I'm all, I, in fairness, I'm predicating or building all of this off of the idea that everyone is coupling up by the time this series ends. A lot of them are. Let's be real. A lot of them have. A lot of them have. Yeah. So, I mean, Sue Ann is going to eventually realize that she's in and love. Some people are going to be coupled exactly. to more than one person. Okay, let we're not going. We're not going back to the ice igloo. That's not this episode. Oh yeah, they, we had some fun with the igloo last um, episode. So sorry, I do have one other minor point for uh, Egwene, uh, which is it's a little underwhelming as far as ultimate boons go. But she does help Rand, and once again, in something that'll be a trial in other books. But she helps Rand. She's one of three people channeling and is instrumental to winning that battle and keeping Rand from getting... Is it Samael, who's the one who's bombing them, in theory? He thinks it's Samael, yeah. Yeah. Right, so there, she keeps Rand from getting himself hurt, and she helps win the battle. It's an ultimate boon in terms of this book, because it's the last major event she participates in, and, and it's part of what she's trying to do. And in terms of her larger journey to Aes Sedai, and once again, fighting that last battle probably throwing it on the road of trials as her taking another step in the power. But... Did you, by the way, I, I had a question for you. When, when that lightning strikes happened in Camelin and we axed three main characters in a second, well, two main characters and Asmodian in a second, did you, did you believe... He's a main character, you take that back. All right, two and a half main <laughs> in characters our hearts, he's in a, a main second. Character. Did, you, did you believe that they were gone for good? Uh, I'm not going to lie. It happened so fast that I had to double check and flick back and be like, wait, they said Matt is dead. Yeah. Well, I guess the last battle's lost. No. <laughs> I, I, I That just told me that Rand was winning his fight via Balefire. And then they talked about throwing Balefire everywhere. And then I started mostly thinking, so if somebody stabs me, all I need to do is get their dagger and Balefire the dagger and I'll be fine. Maybe. I felt the same way. I, Gus looked at me and was like, "Did you? You didn't react. Did you not hear what just happened?" And I was like, "Oh, he's gonna undo that." Yeah. Oh, are you, you guys can. doing audiobooks? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's got to be painful for you watching her face the entire time. It's great. It's <laughs> awful. I, I hate every moment of it, but it's wonderful. Sometimes we record my reactions to things. The Elaine Tom one was a particular one of note. That yes. was pretty good. Oh God. That was yeah. Um, I don't know why Jordan felt the need to then go into like an in-depth description of girls flirting with their fathers as a regular occurrence. Yeah. This oh, you is know, how, Electra shit. That's exactly that happens how all Electra the time. Complex works. Yeah. I had a small thought um, about the Egwene stuff. Mm -hmm. I I felt like. This moment that she has with Nynaeve in the dream world, um, some view as like her kind of emerging from Nynaeve's shadow, and I kind of feel like is a moral loss um, at the at, at that moment. I kind of interpret it as Egwene takes on uh, too much in that moment and and goes too far. Um, and I'm wondering what y'all think of that interpretation. I have a couple reasons for it and i'm wondering if if she's on this road if we're looking at it as a trial for herself could it be possible that the trial was ultimately a, a net loss and i think in her mind she interprets it, interprets it as a net win but i kind of wonder if it's more about what happens to nynaeve after that in that that's the initial um kind of shaking of her 
world and confidence. And then that ex gets exacerbated with Brigitte. But I, I feel like Egwene's thinking that that went well and that that was well handled. And then that was a victory is actually kind of showing her immaturity uh, at the end of the day, because really what she did was facilitate the assault of her friend. Do you think that Nynaeve didn't need any humbling? I really want to... I I understand the desire for Egwene to stick it where the sun don't shine when it comes to Nynaeve. Um, I understand that. Uh, I think the tea would have been sufficient. Um, I think that the action to. that she does prior to that, though, is way over the line. Way over the line. I'm trying to remember what the line, what the action prior is. Uh, she has two huge guys with melting faces rip Nynaeve's clothes off. Oh, right. Yeah, that one was not okay. Yeah. But so, in fairness, that, that, those were two different messages, right? One of those moments is about her stepping out of the, the other shadow. And the other one is about Nynaeve not right, learning right. the same lessons. It's still not the right way to go about it because of the ripping off her clothes. And that's like a weird sexual assault thing. Yeah. But, but they happen right one right after the other. They, they happen do. At the same, in the same moment. And so it's one, hard one to poisons not... The other. It's hard to not, it's hard to separate the two um, in terms of their significance. I, I almost wonder, because it seems like Robert Jordan really avoids talking about it afterward, if it's another weird Elaine and Tom-ism, where it's <laughs> like Robert Jordan tried something and it maybe didn't land as the way he maybe intended it to. Well, I mean, we, we I, haven't don't know really if that, seen... I don't know if that comes through because in the world of editing, right? Wouldn't you, if you didn't like how it ended up coming out, it would have come out before we read it. Uh, that is in a 14 book series. I am sure. I mean, 11 written by him. Correct. I'm sure mm -hmm. there are plenty of things that he was like, wait, I did that. That's terrible. Right. Like uh, Narg. Narg can, it's only X number <laughs> how, no, how long... I disagree with that. Jack. Okay. Zach, for, I, I will, I will tell you why that is hundred percent correct because any, how long did it take him to write this book series? Uh, oh man. From his, as long as he lived through it. Yeah, I, uh, I think uh, he started, started in 1990. 89 or 90. He died in yeah. 2007, I believe. So that was more than 10 years. And yeah, everyone yeah, yeah. that reads their work from over 10 years ago hates it. Every author says that. Yeah. Yeah. So there are specific things where I, like, we know that he changed things. And if we want to take a more. Like recent example, Zach, something you know, um, authors change stuff all the time. Like Brandon Sanderson in the original. Have, Ali, have you read Wave Kings? Oh, Ali, take off your headphones. Taking for off a headphones. In the original, uh, I'm not sure if it's Wave Kings or Words of Radiance, but Kaladin stabs Sizeth and Words Brandon Sanderson. Oh, yeah, yeah, he retconned that entirely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like a month I, or I two later, two he's like, this is wrong. This and, is not yeah. what should have happened. Really? So in yes. one copy he stabs it, and one the, copy the, he doesn't. The, the first, pre the first, uh, I, the first printing only, I believe, right? He stabs him to win, and Sezeth isn't brought back to life within that book. He is. But yes. he, is, is the, the difference is he stabs him versus he just Sezeth falls. falls into the storm. Yeah. All right, you can bring the. You can put your headphones back on. My quick small point about Egwene, though, is uh, is I was wondering. It seemed like she was trying to replicate what the wise ones, what Amis had done to her 
when she had stepped out of line and gone into Talair and Riyadh without permission. Um, but she didn't have the maturity or wisdom yet to know that what Amis did was take her into her own dream so that Egwene was never at any physical risk at that moment when Amis turned into an alligator and was going to bite her head off. Um, and also that, you know, that is a much more cartoonish um, move than the one that Egwene ended up taking, whether or not she meant for it to go that way, or if she just was like, let me do something Nynaeve would be afraid of or what have you. I just wonder if that, that to me felt like more of a, like Egwene thinks she knows a lot more than she does moment rather than a like, oh, I just bested Nynaeve versus the T moment, which happens, I think, very close. So it's hard to just separate the two. Yeah. But if that moment happened in isolation, I would have been like, hell yeah, Egwene, you tell that like mouthy gal to shut up every now and then. Stop but lying. To stop lying and like lying to herself. But, you know, so I think those moments to me, I'm like, maybe if we put them into two separate moments of like this one I felt like was maybe a bit of a, a fail and this one I was like yeah okay I see where you're going with that in that you are stepping out of 90's shadow finally um does that make sense why I'm kind of differentiating those two moments yeah I I will say that unfortunately I think well I agree with a lot of what you said about the first one I think the book disagrees because i feel like a lot of what goes on with Nynaeve tries to enforce what happens like we don't get a reconciliation between those characters right which sucks because that from another perspective of lost right they were rather than what should be them becoming friends as Egwene comes into her own this seems to be right their relationship seems to have kind of uh deteriorated all the girls relationships with each other have seemed to deteriorate by the mm -hmm by the end of this book. Right. Yeah. And I, I struggle with that moment a lot. And that's just why I wanted to bring it up because I struggle with that moment a lot, to be honest, as like a, a woman in the world um, that, you know, the fact that she engaged in that kind of behavior toward her friend is really troubling to me. So I just felt like bringing it up because um, I think that it, that perhaps it's a moment of a male writer, not realizing the implications of what he wrote. Alex, you make the point that he's directly recalling trauma, but he is recalling his perception of it, rather, right? He's still... No, no. In The Eye of the World, Nynaeve was attacked by those two Forsaken with the melting faces. Mm -hmm. So that's a... Egwene is directly making Nynaeve recall that trauma. And did they attempt to rape her in The Eye of the World? Because I don't remember that. The Agonor does. Yes. Balthamel does. Balthamel does. Oh, God. Yes. Yeah. And then how, I don't, how do I not again. remember that part? Because it's really it's glossed over. It's really glossed quick. over. And then Nynaeve brings it up again because she's naked in her accepted test yeah, running through Agenor the maze, and Agonor is chasing her, threatening to rape her as well mm -hmm. in that moment. So it's a big fear for Nynaeve that Egwene kind of shoves into her face, which is troubling. Yeah. It's a troubling She's learning the too. wrong lesson, I think. She, she's learning that she can bully. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and that's how I felt. That's what I what I wanted to say. Really, that's a good encapsulation of what I wanted to say. It felt like a moment where maybe, for her in her mind, it was a victory, but I think the wrong lesson had been taken from that. So I was like, maybe it's a victory to her, but I don't know if it's necessarily has to be a victory. I I do think though, Egwene is coming into her own in a lot of ways during this book too. So I I do think that that is absolutely a valid point 
because well, she's kind of everybody's number two until this book. Well, it's also, I mean, this whole book is really a lot of her bucking authority. And I mean, the wise ones, she, <laughs> she doesn't listen to Warren. She kind of starts talking back to at the beginning of it. Mm-hmm. Very few people. Is she really willing to accept their guidance if it is not uh, directly going to further what she wants? Every character in the wheel of time. Uh-huh. Yeah. That too. <laughs> I, but uh, I think this, this is a book where Egwene really, really leans into that strongly and really uh, embraces that sort of, you know what? I'm done listening. Yeah. Rand, obviously Rand has been doing that since, I don't know, the end of book two. Yeah. This book, Egwene has strong, you're not my real mom energy. Yeah. <laughs> so Ali, I think you were going to talk to us about the uh, heroine's journey with Moraine. Yeah. Well, I want to talk a little bit about the hero's journey stuff, but I was also, mm-hmm. I've also been nerding out a little bit recently about this thing called the heroine's journey that I was like interested in sharing. In terms of Moraine, I mean, it's kind of clear that for most people, she's like the mentor. I mean, Egwene and Brand in particular, she's the mentor. She's the magical aid or supernatural aid um, character. And then, of course, her death is kind of the death of the mentor. Her call to adventure, you know, was obviously going to find the dragon reborn. Um, she didn't really have like a moment of refusal. But in in this book, it felt like um, a big part of her journey was like, I know I'm going to die. Um, so I've got to kind of like, quickly shove as much information into this magic boy's brain as humanly possible before that happens. The temptress thing, I was kind of wondering, because I'm along the same line as Jack is, where I think that I, I've thought since the master bard introduction that Moraine had the hots for Tom. Like she talks about him a lot. She laughs at his jokes. Um, she says things like, um, I know who my husband is probably better than you girls do, which makes me go like, how does she know? No, it's um, someone we've already met. But I kind of wonder if there is some temptation in terms of like both staying alive sort of for land, staying alive for Rand, even though this is something that she has to do for him. Um, she's still kind of like, I need to stay alive to put in as much information as humanly possible. Um, and then also Tom. I'm kind of like wondering if those three are are reasons to live uh, while she clearly needs to do this act of, you know, tack- side tackling Lanfear into a door. Is that tackling Lanfear through the door an ultimate boon or a later step in your mind? I felt like it was her apotheosis. I think that leading up to this she has this moment of like Rand's not her father figure obviously but she has this major turning point uh with a like male figure in her life where she recognizes that the way that she's approaching him is not working and they reach sort of a reconciliation point prior to her death and then her ultimate act of like caring for him and love for him and realizing her ultimate purpose is to die is to yeast Lanfear through that door and that's kind of like the climax of that story. And I think that the maybe ultimate boon is the fact that there are these two other fu- divergent futures that could have happened, both of which were disastrous, that she ultimately was able to prevent. All she wants to do is help Rand this entire time. And she finally gets to do this like one ultimate act of care um, that at least guarantees that these two futures that could have been 
would not happen because of her. She does like the ultimate care, which is to sacrifice her life for him. Well, you know, minus our theories. Minus our theories. So uh, yeah, if, if this is the end of her story, I felt like, well, which I don't think so, because obviously I think she's got more hero's journey to go on. Uh, but within the book, it definitely strikes you as the as an apotheosis and ultimate boon wrapped up in one. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> uh, well, I'm I'm curious about the temptation because for me, I thought that Moraine's temptation was finally resolved in as you talked about changing the way her relationship exists with Rand, and there's some atonement after after her death death in air quotes uh, with the letter and Rand finally truly accepting that she meant what she said. But for me, her temptation is to eventually change over from thinking that she has to control Rand in order to help him mm-hmm. and lead to support. Rand is then a dick and says, you can only support me the way that I tell you to. Right. But eventually... But do you blame him? Moraine yes. caused a lot of harm, but Rand has Rand is also a person who could have, after, after a little bit of proof, accepted it rather than saying... Uh, your answer is to say jump what I call now he does have the excuse of probably going insane due to magic yeah so it, I think Allie is more correct with her um, like wanting to stay with Rand but it's more of a temptation to help Rand the way that she thinks she should rather than the way the pattern is telling her to right yeah. going through that door the pattern is saying one thing and she wants to help Rand another way Mm-hmm. But at least this book, she's re- she's pretty clear on there are three outcomes and only one of them is acceptable. Right. But he she also has this great moment with him prior to her death uh, and prior to the battle itself where um, he does a bunch of like, I guess it's not her directly being involved, but um, he does a bunch of like diaste marring and then he thinks to himself, Maureen would be really proud of me. That is one of is, Zach. Is that your favorite moment with the yes, four yeah. different handshakes? Yeah, the when he meets all the other lords and ladies at the step, and they he he interacts with them in a, each a different way, and they all see it in a different way. Mm-hmm. That's one of my favorite casual Rand moments. Yeah, and I feel like in that moment, Rand is finally recognizing like Moraine has taught me well. Um, like which is funny because a lot value. of that training does happen off screen. Yeah. But it, it to me, it is a moment of like him recognizing that that she hasn't just caused harm, that she's also done a lot of good for him and cared a lot for him. And then also they have a moment before the battle happens where I don't remember exactly what she says, but she kind of looks at him and says, you'll do well or something like that. I think she says exactly that. You'll yeah, do she does well. say exactly that. Yeah. And to me, that feels like another moment between the two of them of of a reconciliation of some kind. Um, yeah, though if Rank could just get over his sexist issue and kill a woman. I f- friggin' know. It, I, it, it drives thought, me insane. I never thought yeah. that I'd go on a podcast and advocate for the killing of women. But Specific for <laughs> Here I am, women. constantly yelling at him to kill that woman. <laughs> right, like, it's just... Everything would be infinite, right? His... his past self or his own brain however you want to interpret it so far because we don't have the answers yet is literally giving him the instructions on the correct steps to win this battle and kill her and Rand goes now let the whole world die rather than murder one unsavable 
woman. Yeah, one woman who literally just ripped a man's skin off. Like, can we just let her die? If you're not going to do it, let someone else. But like, well, oh. he does. I mean, I well, yeah, do happens. it yourself. Well, and I go, Rand, you can't have it both ways. You can't go, oh, I want to protect all these women in my life, but I'm also not going to kill women who are actively peeling them like grapes in front of me. Like, you've got to kill this woman. Right, like, dying is not going to make her not murder Avienda. Yeah, she she was like, who do I murder first, you or her? Do I kill you first, then her, or her first, then you? And she's literally talking about that. And I go, okay, see, I think this time, at this point, you cut your losses and go, all right, I got to kill her. Sorry. I'll feel bad about it later. But there was literally nothing else I could do. Everyone in this book series is a little bit... Again, cold, I'm not advocating for cold-blooded murder. <laughs> uh, but the Forsaken are the Forsaken. As Modian's redemption, in air quotes aside... The Forsaken are the Forsaken. And yeah. Pretty capital probably e shouldn't, evil. Yeah, you shouldn't really feel bad for winning the battle with the Chosen and going, hmm, so I can kill you at any time now because I've tricked this collar onto you. Maybe I should just do that. Yeah, I mean... I was also screaming at Nynaeve a lot to commit some murder. Well, I, I go, there's no way that's going to end well. Of course not. There's absolutely no way that's going to end well, leaving that woman alive. I mean, I, that, absolutely not. I would advocate turn her into the Aes Sedai immediately. Mm, For I, them to fuck it up? Yeah. Sure. They would execute her. Okay, because the, the, the Aes Sedai are definitely not filled with dark friends. Uh, <laughs> they're they're three, not currently, they currently don't have the single highest uh, ratio. Ratio, yeah, ratio of hidden <laughs> of dark friends of dark any friends. group. Right, like, and there's definitely you, ones in Saladar for sure. Oh God, yeah. Hell yeah. I think Megadian is the last. I think Megadian will be the last Forsaken alive. She's so good at what she does. I'm like, she's gotten captured twice. I still think she's gonna find her way out of this. I do, I do. I just, I just feel it. I just feel a great it. track record. She's just so sneaky. She's so much sneakier like than a the spider. Others. Like a little spider. Like a little, like a little, like a little, like a little monk, like a little bald eunuch in court. Yeah, <laughs> I just think, yeah. Anyway, can I? Can this I, is gonna end badly. Allie, can I posit a question to you about Moiraine and the hero's journey? What about? Him? Would you? Would you perhaps say that she undergoes her apotheosis by uh, swearing to obey Rand? That could be because all of a sudden now he's listening to her, and she has what she's always wanted. Because the newfound knowledge is the key to the hero's ultimate success. Get Rand to get Rand to go and down then to the, the ultimate dock so I can is, die for him. Is I died for him, which I because she she says the whole time, I am literally ready to die for you. I would I would die to protect you. I would kill to protect. Like I would die to protect the world. I kill to protect the world, and she ultimately yes. does it. But I do agree with Rand when his response to all the time she says that is yes. But you don't seem, but the words you won't say at all to that are, but I won't deceive and trick you into doing things my way. Oh, no. Oh, but then when she but does I won't say that, do that. Yeah, then he finally trusts her. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's, her that's what I was pushing. Is that she finally goes, I promise, I'm not going to, I'm not going to mess with you. I just want to work with you. 
I feel like that is a um, another one of those resultants of the actual apotheosis, and the apotheosis is coming to terms with their own death. Okay, it could visions, be too. Yeah, like the, the the vision of her own death and realizing that in order to get what she wants before that is to submit to what Rand wants. Yeah, is the submitting what Rand wants is is the apotheosis. But I mean, I think it's a little six of one, half a dozen of the other. But. So someone called Maureen Burdock um, kind Maureen? of went Maureen. I yeah. thought she said that the first time she told me about it. I too. know. She said Maureen Murdoch. Maureen Murdoch uh, went to Joseph Campbell and was like, well, what about women? And he was kind of like, uh, they don't really do the hero's journey. So she wrote her own for women, which I kind of think is badass. The heroine separates from the feminine or the maternal which is kind of the start of their journey, you know, like men leave home and what's familiar women kind of do a similar thing, but they kind of abandon some kind of maternal figure, which in my view was her leaving the white tower. Because the mm. people in charge of the white tower, uh, the Amarlin seats literally called the mother. That's a good point. So mm -hmm. it's her sort of leaving the comfort of something maternal um, for the, for the bigger world. And then you have the like sort of identifying with the masculine. So it's kind of like taking up some kind of new, um, maybe more violent stance or violent way of getting what you want or um, more assertive or aggressive way of getting what you want um, and sort of shirking the feminine for in favor of uh, a masculine, more dominant way of doing things um, and gathering allies. Um so it's kind of like acting outside of what's the traditional societal role that you're given and gearing up to fight and gathering your forces together. So I viewed that as going to Emmons Field, gathering her forces, um, getting Tom, Egwene, all of her friends, most of whom are masculine and men. Um, and then also operating outside of her perceived societal role. So Aes Sedai are not typically supposed to interfere in... Uh, in battles, they're not supposed to, um, like they hadn't been a part of a battle since the IEO war and before that it I wasn't. Think they, you, you can't they weren't fight. involved in that, they were just involved in. They, they yeah, the IEO sieged uh, Tarvalon. Right, no, they hadn't been involved in a fight since the Trolloc Wars. Trolloc Wars. Yeah. Yeah. So um, kind of their perception is that while they like do interfere politically, they aren't like, fighters but at Barillon she kind of uses her ability uh, against the white cloaks even though it's not a violent act it's still an act that's going Pretty to be outside of her uh, outside of the role she's tall. supposed to do I'm sure that the white tower would not have been super thrilled about it to me it that's sort of a departure from what she's expected to do and supposed to do um, and we see evidence of that again when like Egwene blows up the ground near the white cloaks it's not you know, she's not threatening them. It's near the white cloak. Oh, sorry. I know we're trying to stick to book five, but anyway. Um, <laughs> but then there's like roads and trials, right? Experiencing the boon of success. Um, so in my view, uh, you know, she's starting to see, this will be in book five now. I'm up to book five. Uh, she's starting to see Rand taking on the roles that um, that he's supposed to. She's starting to see him be victorious, but um, it then we experience an awakening to feelings of death, um, which is both realizing that the thing that you wanted maybe doesn't look like it's supposed to. 
um, which is you know, she saw herself as being this like guiding force for Rand and kind of being able to put her thumb on the scale. And he bucks that pretty hard and she has to regroup and figure things out, but also being aware of her own potential death um, due to Roydian and all that stuff and having to deal with that throughout the entire book. Um, and then we have the initiation and the ascent uh, to the goddess. So this dominance has kind of failed in some way. Like she can't just be masculine. She has to find a balance between the masculine and the feminine, re-embrace her femininity, um, you know, learn to work with Rand. Um, she has to find a new path and she's realized that forcing Rand into doing what she wants doesn't work. Um, and so that, okay. that allows her to ascend into her apotheosis. But I, you know, I do think that I was really frustrated when he was like, I want you to basically like submit to me. And she was like, I learned to submit to Sidar rather than try to take Sidar. Um, you kind of just Because Rand come. is a, almost a force of nature. Yeah. I, I, I mean, he's got so much to veer in behind him, right? Yeah. He, yeah. He so kind of is. It's a good, it's a good. I kind of yeah. view him as like the ocean at some point. Like you could try to like fight the current or you could swim out of like if you're in a riptide and you try to swim back to shore you're going to drown but if you swim to the side and then out of it you'll be fine Counter i kind of feel like that your land fear apparently there's an option where you can brainwash the ocean into a weird sex slave thing <laughs> i think this... that's called surfing i don't know if moraine thought of <laughs> oh god well i think moraine explored that option but she found out that that must not oh, happen god, oh god that was such a creepy line when uh... i wrote it. Not that I was interested in no. I, I did check it in the Yeah. Never thought that would happen, but sure can't do that. Yeah. Good Lord. Um, But I, I think also Rand has this habit of like collecting parents wherever he goes. He really just wants like a mother or father figure in his life because he's got Tom, Lan, Rourke, Moraine. Moraine. Um, I think once she kind of was like, I'm going to stop trying to be like your controller and start kind of trying to be more like almost like a parent um, and guide you. It, the relationship worked a lot better because Rand just really wants a parent. <laughs> Look, it's just nice occasionally to have somebody give you a hug and tell you everything's going to be okay, especially when you're the dragon reborn. Yeah, so Ali, I was going to say, thank you for really bringing up this heroine's journey. It's nice, especially in this book about like gender politics, to hear there's a whole separate journey um, that we don't really talk about. We kind of just put women on the hero's journey and just talk about it from that perspective, trying to make the terms as gender neutral as possible. But we can't always do that. So um, thanks for really bringing this up. It, it's not something we've ever talked about before. Oh, no worries. I just learned about it in a writing class and I was like, how come I've never heard of this? So I was kind of geeked out, excited to talk about it, even though I personally am like the gender binary is stupid we all contain multitudes what is masculine what is feminine who cares but uh and you could totally like put women on a hero's journey because that happens all the time um but i did think it was cool to see you know from a time where women were often not the main character to kind of examine like what their role typically looked like in their own kind of side quest in these in these older literary works um, and how that can apply to things now. Um, it's kind of cool. That's going to bring us to a close. Hopefully this has been a, a fun 
different episodes still touching on all the hero's journey stuff that you love as alex made us promise we are gonna lock in those fan theories uh and i'm gonna start at least with mine on who i think is responsible for asmodian's death uh i would have gone with moraine if she was still alive mm -hmm. and i guess I'm not not i mean alive again air quotes around that every time i have to say it here I have been trying to think of somebody who is aware and in Rand's life and still in sort of that kind of authoritative position around him. The best I've come up with is Avienda, and she doesn't really take on that relationship. So I'm thinking it was one of the wise ones or just, right, one of the other Forsaken that we saw at that meeting who was secretly in Camlin and rather than going to help uh I'm blanking on who was Raven Raven the rest of that uh, crew it was Robin Lanfear Grendel and Samael so I guess Grendel or Samael right decided to get in there and just knock him out after she saw that Raven was losing his fight because the Forsaken are always betraying each other so mm -hmm. why it's not really Grendel's or... style either it's but... not Grendel's style but I, I'm going I'm going wise one or I, I'll lock in on Grendel if I have to pick for. So you've chosen two groups of people as opposed to. Well, I'm if I'm locking in, I'm going. I I don't remember the wise ones' names, so the authoritative one that's been married for a while. Uh, and if we're locking in on a name, Grendel. But more generally, that group of Forsaken wise ones that are. In uh, I always thought Hansel had done it. I have a couple reasons why I landed on my theory. Um. So I think it has to be a female forsaken uh, for two reasons. Uh, one, um, Asmodian specifically shivered right before he walked in that closet. Um, and we know that men can sense female channeling and they usually shiver when that happens. So my theory is somebody popped into that closet right before he walked in. Um, I also think it has to be somebody unfriendly to him that he knows is actively unfriendly to him because his response wasn't you. What are you doing here? It was you know, right away. So he knew visually mm. that he needed to be afraid of that person. Um, I don't think he would have reacted that way to Egwene or Avienda or anyone that's surrounding Rand at this point. I think it has to be the people we know him to be most afraid of. And Occam's razor also says like the most logical conclusion is usually the correct one. Um, so I'm like, if he's afraid of that person by sight alone, it's likely a forsaken the shivering to me, Robert Jordan. I think he plants clues on purpose. We've seen men shivering around women channeling multiple times throughout the books. Um, including at the beginning at that gathering where uh, the uh, forsaken are all together that happens with Samael and Robin they both sense the women channeling and then Samael like takes up a bunch of magic and then Robin's like no 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 don't do that um so I think you know those seeds have been planted for a reason um but then then it that leads me to the female forsaken Lanfear is uh, is at least indisposed if not dead um uh, has an alibi she's asleep because of the fork tea but usually I would kind of maybe go with her because it just seems like her style to like gang someone in a closet. Also um, kind of doing sneaky kind of murder uh, typically is like, if you think about it from a true crime perspective, like a 
female crime with air quotes and Robert Jordan loves his gender binaries. So I feel like that has, that's likely like if Asmodian were like out and he got like ganked by lightning from above, I'd be like Samael for sure. Um, so then that brings me to the forsaken that are still alive. Magedian obviously has an alibi cause she's passed out. Um, and probably Nynaeve has dealt with her at this point in some capacity. Uh, we've got Semarog. The only thing I know about her, she loves torturing people and Asmodian's death seemed fast. So I was like, maybe no. Masana um, knows zero about her. So she's a suspect, but she also, I, to my knowledge, doesn't know that Asmodian's there. And Grendel. Um, are we both locking in on Grendel then? So I'm thinking Grendel. Anyway, I wanted to go through that long roundabout explanation before <laughs> I got there, but I think Grendel. Guys, for, for more insane, well thought out theories like that, you should definitely go check out uh, the Wheel Takes <laughs> podcast. That was are incredible. Are they insane or are they logical? Logically, <laughs> logically insane. Like that you went in detail and you kept track of everything, right? I'm sitting here going, oh, right, they do shiver. That was played up. Yeah. I was just, I, I was right. I, I never got past the layer one of, oh, right. Wow. He said no. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so always. much for having us. This was so much fun. I think he's talking to the audience. Oh, shoot. <laughs> My bad. It's true both ways, though. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. As always, I've been your host and judge, Jack. This is Alex. And I'm Zach. And we're Wheel and, Takes. Uh, special. We're Wheel Takes. Gus and Allie. <laughs> Yay! Oh, thank you. Though in keeping with the uh, parallels, I am waiting for Rand to discover that he has a half-sister and be tricked into conceiving a child with them, because, you know, Arthurian lore, since mm. Jordan just takes from everywhere. <laughs> he does. Well, he's got a half-brother that he doesn't know about. <laughs> I, yes. I, I don't think they're going to conceive a child together, but yeah.